Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording... All right, y'all ready for your last storyteller? Okay, that seems positive. All right, this will be her second time here at Tell Me More, and she had a killer first story. Please welcome to the stage, Miss Katie Ruckel. So um, sometimes a scandal leads to a scandal in your life, and you don't know how they link, or even you don't think you're going to be a scandalous person. I grew up in South Florida, not well, the Panhandle of Florida, and then I moved up here when I was 13 when my dad went into ministry. And I grew up in a very protectively loving conservative home, aka no television. I went to church a lot. No Halloween. We did celebrate Christmas, though. No Easter Bunny. My dad tried to use an egg as an example of Jesus and the resurrection. And he was like, and a chick comes out of the egg. And I was like, Dad, we boiled these. There's no chick in this egg. He's like, well, you know how, like, the grave and just came out of the grave and you didn't think anything would come out of it because it was dead. I was like, but it's a boiled egg. I'm going to eat it. So I totally blew his theory. I was a very serious child, very witty, very kind, and very loving. And I grew up in a society that I'd say the panel of Florida, Alabama today, even now culturally, is about 20 years behind. So a lot of racism, a lot of sexism, a lot of know your place, know it early type stuff, especially for girls. So I heard early and often, when you're a mom, when you're a mom, when you're a wife, when you have kids, and I love children. I was one of those people at 18, I wanted a baby, even though there is nothing about my life that was going to have a baby soon. I wanted a baby. They're cute. They're cuddly. They smell good. They smile. And I, so I've always wanted to be a mom, and that was one thing from my childhood that I grabbed onto. The whole getting married early and having a family early was something that didn't line up with me. And part of that is I'm not like the flirty, like, ah, you're so cute, kind of happy girl. I never was that. My sister is homecoming queen, and I saw that, but I never could get there. And there was a lot of talks with my mom about, you know, if you just said that differently, if you just did that differently. My grandmother tried to tell me how to flirt. She's like, if you get a chocolate, put it kind of on your tongue a little bit. And let the guy see it. I'm like, what? I Like, you're French kissing chocolates. I mean, I don't know if that's a way to get a man. You know, maybe I'll try it sometime. So um, I went to college and dated the bad guys and tried to get them saved or witness to them or something because that's what you do when you're a former missionary going to ODU. It did not work out at all because guys want to have fun And they don't want to marry you and settle down and have a kid. And that was what I was trained to do. So it took me a little while to figure out, hey, that's not going to work. So when I was 23, I went to my alma mater homecoming game, and that's Greenbrier Christian Academy. And I ran into a guy who graduated a year ahead of me. And he was nice, and he was funny, and he was smart, and he liked me. 
and he waited till after Valentine's Day for our first date, so he didn't have Valentine's Day pressure. Think about that, guys. You don't want to give a girl roses if you don't want to commit. So we dated for a year and a half, and I thought, okay, this is my ticket to the marriage, baby, family, happiness ride. And so we dated for a year and a half, and then I got married. And on the honeymoon, I discovered I had had the wool pulled over my eyes in a crazy, crazy way because I was watching a grown man have a full blown out temper tantrum and he was screaming and cussing at me and throwing things right past my head and kicking right beside me. And he was furious with me because I wasn't fun and I didn't turn him on. Well, I had had a stomach bug for 48 hours on our honeymoon at one hotel, so I couldn't be fun. And then he had accidentally slammed my head in the trunk while we were packing up the car to go to the next hotel. And I wasn't fun because I refused to go parasailing because I didn't want to be a human bird crapping on people's heads as I'm flying over the beach in St. Martin. But, no, there's no logic to me not wanting to do this. I have this guy flipping out on me. And I had heard tell, a friend said to me, her husband changed on the honeymoon. And I didn't believe her. I was 18 when I heard it. I was like, no, you know what you're getting into. But there is an inkling in the back of my head on the honeymoon, 24, not allowed to drive the rental car. All passports and credit cards were with him. I'm stuck. What the hell am I going to do? Let's just get home. And so for the next year and a half, I tried. And I tried to make it work. His anger got worse. And um, his throwing got a little bit better because he threw a belt buckle at my head as hard as he could and hit my temple with it. And there is a sense of relief because I had a mark. The bitch, the your awful type stuff, the games, the losing, had physical evidence, and I actually got help. I had got help from four counselors because, remember, my dad's a pastor, and there's no way I can leave a marriage without validation. Four counselors, four different visits, all telling me I'm not safe. So um, I don't know if you're familiar with Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Scarlet Letter, and I read it in high school, and it's about this woman who has an adulterous relationship, and she has to go around town all the time with a scarlet A on her chest so people know that her she's an adulterer and the baby wasn't her husband's. And when I read that as a teenager, what there was an empathy There is identification, but it was like, I'm never going to be like her. But when I got divorced, I got this giant D on my chest from people in my church. My pastor told me that I needed to go back and work it out, and I shouldn't have left. And he'd take me in front of my church for um, discipline if for leaving my husband. I had friends that didn't believe in divorce, like it's a unicorn, you know, like... It didn't happen, but it did. And then one thing that's a hard lesson, but communication majors, and if you look at the politics of the day, he who speaks 
the most frequently and the most often, no matter the story, the story gets out and it's believable. So I had things, I, I learned new things about myself. I was a lesbian. That was completely new to me. I didn't know that at all before I got divorced. And I was a bitch and heartless. And so all of my identity had gotten just flushed down the tube. And I was somebody else. And I wasn't relating with my identity, with my culture very much. And it's a lot to dig out of. So come a few years later, I get sick with endometriosis. And I don't know if you know what that is, but it's uterine tissue that grows outside your uterus or inside of it, and it's excess. And it's like vascular tissue. So I don't know if ever you guys have ever skinned your knee and gotten like your pants stuck to it. And when you take off your pants, you're ripping off a scab. Well, that's what my insides were doing. It was scar tissue, scab, rip, tear. And it was repeated. And so I couldn't stand up. It was bad. I had to have surgery. And I had surgery and it worked. And then I got presented a couple years later with two final options. You can have a baby, Katie, or you can have a hysterectomy. Those are your only two options. If I did surgery, they just do a hysterectomy. There's no way to get out of pain. And, but I had always had this dream of being a mother. You know, I think it's just innate in some people. They want to be a mom. And nothing about my culture was working out with being a mom. And none of the right ways I grew up with with the church were working out. And so I really had to go, okay, do I want to do this? Do I want to be a mom? And so I went to counseling, talked to friends, and I decided to just try, just try to have a baby. And I have guys I dated, and I I dated people, and I had a couple guys that I really loved that weren't ready to grow up, and I had just casual relationships. And then when you have the need to have a baby, it's like anathema. It's the untouchable curse type of thing. And um, I didn't ask anybody to have a child with me. I did have one guy call me and say, I really need to talk to you. Can Can we talk? Which at least... I knew he wasn't pregnant with my child. Like, you know, it was like, well, I know that. I have no idea what he really wants to talk to me about because nobody wants to hear that. Even though I'm like running through a list of things like, I didn't do anything wrong today. Nope, nope, nope. So after he had a couple glasses of liquid courage, he was like, what's really wrong with you? So we're at a bar and I'm drawing like healthy sex organs on a napkin and my sex organs. And like, this is why I hurt. And he was like, well, maybe I'll have a baby with you. I'll I'll get back with you on it. (laughs) And he ended up taking his hat out of the ring, which is fine. So um, I ended up going to the Jones Institute and talking to fertility specialists. And I was worried about weird things because you, you can get like Mensa sperm donors with like pictures and they can meet your child at 18 or you can do what I did and just get like all the medical history completely anonymous. And I told the doctor, I was like, I'm, you know, like, I don't like the idea of not seeing him, but what if he's, like, really handsome with, like, tiny, like, T-Rex hands and nobody tells me, like, well, my child, and she's like, you just want a healthy baby. So I, I 
also didn't really talk to my family about it. They weren't on board. Um, my mom wanted me to find the man, the knight in the white horse. He wasn't coming. No clip-clops in the future for me. And then, um, you know, other people didn't want me to, like, burden them with my child. You know, he's not going to have a father. You're putting him at a disadvantage. And what are you doing type of thing? So I just tried. And in May of 2014, I got pregnant. And you're supposed to try, like, five, six times. It worked the first time. But the baby didn't work out. And so... I told my family, hey, I'm pregnant, and they got kind of excited, and then I went to get released from the fertility specialist and did the final ultrasound with them, and it was dead. So after a horrible miscarriage later, um, tried again and got pregnant and had a really rough pregnancy, but a beautiful baby boy, and... um, my being a single mom is still scandalous with people. Um, even though my son is adorable and loved and very bright, and my mom calls him the little boy therapy dog because people just love him, and he just smiles, and he says stuff like, I have bones in my ear. They're the alias Malkies and Stapies. And, um, and so there's this beautiful thing about having him in my life. And... The knowledge that I can love freely, and he loves me, and there's a redemptive property of Everett that I may have gotten in a backwards way, where um, I have a child, and I didn't have to have it with a man who didn't love me, I just have Everett, and I got him a different way. And the other day, a lady who didn't know me very much, and she was older, so when she found out I had a son that was three, she's like, oh, do you and your husband want more children? And I was like, uh, not really husband here. And I said, I doubt I'll have another child because my pregnancy was so difficult. And she goes, you went out of God's order. You cursed yourself. You cursed yourself. Don't you know Jesus? You cursed yourself. And growing up in the church, that, like, stuck in some ways because I knew I did it wrong. But my answer to her was, but I have Everett. And really, her, you know, like, that jolt of you did it wrong, I got him the only way I could. And forever, what reason, my path led me to that one sperm donor and my egg made Everett my beautiful boy. And I think his life is a redemption of a lot of things. And though I may have a scarlet D on my chest sometimes, people might think I'm an adulterer. Um, I know I'm loved, and I know I have a little boy that is loved. And I'm thankful that God gave me life to something that felt like death for a while. Thank you. If you'd like to tell a story like this one, or just enjoy the show, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org, where you'll find a list of upcoming shows, plenty of ways to pitch your story, and our podcast featuring storytellers from previous shows. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell me more live.